Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Good morning. Today, God speaks to us from Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19, and Ephesians 4, verse 1. Ang salita ng Diyos mula sa sulat ni Pablo sa mga taga-Efeso, ikatlong kabanata, talatang labing lima hanggang labing siyam, at ikaapat na kabanata, unang talata. Ipinapanalangin ko na sa kadakilaan ng kapangyarihan niya ay palakasin niya ang espiritual ninyong pamumuhay sa pamamagitan ng kanyang espiritu. Para manahan si Kristo sa mga puso ninyo dahil sa inyong pananampalataya. Ipinapanalangin ko rin na maging matibay kayo at matatag sa pag-ibig ng Diyos. Para maunawaan ninyo at ng iba pang mga pinabanal kung gaano kalawak, at kahaba, at kataas, at kalalim ang pag-ibig ni Kristo sa atin. Mara- maranasan ninyo sana na ito, kahit hindi ito lubusang maunawaan, para maging ganap sa inyo ang katangian ng Diyos. Bilang isang bilanggo, dahil sa paglilingkod sa Panginoon, hinihiling kong mamuhay kayo ng karapat-dapat bilang mga tinawag ng Diyos. Ang salita ng Diyos, the Word of God. Thanks be to God. This October, so next month, uh, it will be three years since Redeemer East Harlem uh, first launched. During, yeah, thank you, that's good. We're very grateful uh, for these last few years, and at the same time, uh, a lot has changed in the world in the last three years. Uh, the world is not the same place that it was. Life in 2019 feels like a completely different world. Uh, the world, but especially our city, as you very well know, uh, was ravaged by a pandemic in that time. Uh, some wondered if New York City would ever recover uh, after droves and droves of people left during the pandemic. There were some neighborhoods that had a 40% uh, percent plus decline in, in its residential population, and people wondered if uh, people would ever come back to New York. Uh, during that time, there has been uh, a complete upheaval of our cultural and societal fabric. Uh, We are as divided and as partisan now as we've ever been in society uh, writ large. Uh, Within the church, uh, as a result of many of those divisions, many churches are radically different than they were uh, back in 2019. Uh, And as a result, I mean, we've seen this play out over and over again. The church has become one of the battlegrounds of the culture wars that we find ourselves in. And more often than not, there's just no easy way forward on how to navigate some of these very complex issues. It's been a very hard year, a few years. Uh, The Barna Group released some uh, data earlier this year uh, that showed that uh, over 40% of pastors are actively considering leaving ministry because of all the stress and loneliness and political divisions. And I don't say that for you to worry about me. I'm good. But simply just to say, things have changed. Things are very different than they were when we launched. Now, in that time, uh, REH uh, has, of course, weathered many of those storms, and the Lord has been 
so good to us over these last three years. Not only um, has the vast majority of our of our time as a church been in the midst of these very turbulent uh, times and seasons, um, but you know some might think as a result of that 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 season would have sunk us, and yet we're still here. And not only are we still here, but the Lord has sustained us. He has grown us. He has provided for us. And for this, we are incredibly grateful. But as he's grown us, I recognize that uh, because of the nature of that growth, many who are currently part of our congregation uh, stepped into an established church culture, uh, a culture that was shaped by a very particular mission, vision, and values. There was a particular calling that God had given Redeemer East Harlem back when we launched in 2019. And since our launch, we actually really haven't had a chance to revisit some of these central core uh, ideas, the core DNA that really orients so much of what we do and why we do it and even how we go about doing it. For those that were uh, with us at the beginning, uh, and thinking back uh, to the beginning, there's some very sweet times together. There were about uh, 20 of us or so that were gathering every week, praying together, learning together, developing together, uh, so that when we did launch, we would be a church that was faithful to a particular calling in a particular time for a particular place. And I say all of that because that calling... I don't believe has shifted or changed. No matter how much the world around us has shifted and changed, I don't believe those fundamental ideas that we believe God had uh, placed before us back in 2019 have changed at all. And so with that said, we want to reconsider, re-engage that calling. And we're going to do that over the next seven weeks in this series that we're calling DNA. During this time, we're going to examine our founding vision and mission and values. Uh, Whether you were with us on those Tuesday nights in the very beginning for that year that we were developing and processing these convictions, um, if you've joined us over the course of the last several years, or maybe today is your first Sunday with us, wherever you might find yourself, I hope and pray that we see these convictions for what they are, which is the calling of Redeemer East Harlem. Uh, I'm not going to read these every single week, uh, but I do want to read to you our vision, our mission, and our values so that we have them in front of us. These are the things that we're going to process over the next several weeks, and uh, we have a slide up there if you guys want to throw that up as I read these. Here's the vision of Redeemer East Harlem. Redeemer East Harlem is a church both in and for East Harlem that seeks to both know and show the love of of God in Christ. And the way that we accomplish that vision is our mission, which says this, that as a church of Jesus Christ, Redeemer East Harlem seeks to know and show the love of Christ through a movement of the gospel that brings personal conversion, spiritual formation, community involvement, mercy and justice, and avenues for cultural, racial, and socioeconomic diversity. Uh, Each week over the course of this series, we're going to examine a little bit of what you just heard. This week and next, we're going to begin by looking at our vision statement. Uh, Again, that Redeemer East Harlem is a church that is both in and for East Harlem that seeks to both know and show the love of God in Christ. This week and next, we're going to take a look at what we mean by that statement. Uh, Next week, we're going to take a look uh, in particular at what it means to be both in and for uh, East Harlem that we might show the love of Christ. But this week, 
Let's consider what it means to be a church that is in and for East Harlem so that we might know the love of God in Christ. And to do that, let's consider what I mean uh, when I say in and for, and let's consider what I mean when I say that we might know the love of God in Christ. So first, what do I mean by in and for? Uh, We're going to get to our passage uh, in Ephesians 3 and 4. That is actually a foundational uh, passage of Scripture uh, for our church, and I'll explain in a moment uh, why that is the case. Uh, But before we get to that passage, and we'll take a look at it, I want to explain to you what I mean by in and for. This has been such an important uh, central point about who we are as a church, and so it's worth explaining and expounding a little bit more on it. Um, In the years leading up to our launch as a church, and frankly ever since then, we have deeply wrestled with what it meant to be a church that was in East Harlem, but also a church that was for East Harlem. This has been a very important distinction because, uh, as we've said over and over again over the years, it's actually relatively easy to be a church that's in a neighborhood. You know, if you have uh, enough money or enough people, you can easily just show up plop down and start gathering together, start doing church. But to be a church that's for a neighborhood is quite a different thing. To be for a neighborhood requires knowing and loving and investing in that neighborhood, doing the hard work of discovering uh, your impact on that neighborhood. And if we could not articulate and then prove our desire to be good news for the whole community of East Harlem, then we had no right to plant a church here. And so this was something that we wrestled through uh, for many years leading up to the launch, and then also, of course, once we actually launched. Now, if you uh, may not know this, uh, but Redeemer East Harlem is part of a wider network of churches in New York City, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, Redeemer, for many years, has been an incredibly influential church. in the city. It's been an important part of the overall ecosystem of churches uh, in New York, uh, but also around the world. And we get to be part of this very meaningful and important legacy, uh, a legacy that we are incredibly grateful for. Uh, but though Redeemer, and in particular the teaching uh, of, his, of, of its founder, uh, has been widely influential, Redeemer's greatest ministry successes were amongst a particular culture, in a particular demographic, in particular communities throughout New York. Uh, and often they, uh, the ministry of Redeemer ended up centering uh, its ministry in more affluent communities, often referred to as center city. And so as a result, it became, again, very successful and drew many people associated with that center city and all of its cultural sensibilities. Uh, There was, of course, that was not the totality of what Redeemer has been over the years, but nonetheless, that's what Redeemer has been known for for many years. Now, East Harlem does not reflect the typical, as a community, does not reflect the the typical... uh, ministry and cultural sensibilities of historic Redeemer. And this is important because in approaching the neighborhood, this was something that we had to have in front of us. It very much required a different kind of mindset in order to plant a church well here. Uh, For example, just to give you some very uh, important distinctions about what you are, the community that you're sitting in right now. Consider our sending church, Redeemer Eastside, a church for which we are incredibly grateful. That church, which sent us, exists in a very different world, uh, and that very different world is split by, famously, the 96th Street line. 
the difference in communities between South of 96 and North of 96 reveal quite a few differences. If you know this area, you know those differences. Uh, there are a lot of disparities that exist there. Uh, just to give you an example, South of 96th Street, the median income on the south side of the street is $120,000. If you cross over to the north side of the street, it immediately drops to $33,000. That represents two very different uh, communities. East Harlem has one of the highest concentrations of public housing in all of the city. The Upper East Side has some of the most expensive real estate on the planet. Uh, these dynamics actually have a lot of history, um, and there's reasons why the communities have developed the way that they are, and those reasons have not always been just and equitable um, uh, realities. Uh, these types of dynamics, plus the very clear cultural dynamics, create particular kinds of tensions, especially for new residents who often seem um, unaware of the complexity of what's happening within the community. And as a result, it was important for us as a church to be conscious of those dynamics, as we could not simply import all of the previous established assumptions about ministry, but rather wanted to establish something that was faithful to the, to the dynamics at play here in this community. The scope of our ministry, the, the style of our worship, uh, the way that we spend our resources, all of this was intentional as we tried to think about what was the best way to faithfully approach planting a church here. We had to evaluate all of it. To not evaluate properly would have been incredibly unloving, unfaithful, and would have misaligned with the reality that God has been at work here in this community long before we ever arrived. That God has been working in East Harlem for generations. There are churches and organizations that have served for many, many years. And so being for East Harlem meant learning how to best relate to and even support the work of those churches that have been laboring here for many years. There is an economy that supports uh, the people of this neighborhood. And so being for East Harlem meant learning how we can invest in that very economy. Uh, in this room, uh, right now, there are native East Harlemites and there are new gentrifiers. Uh, there are in this room people that are coming from a variety of different communities and neighborhoods that uh, may be similar or dissimilar to that of East Harlem. But being for East Harlem meant learning how to faithfully together as this diverse group of people to come alongside what God was doing here long before us. And above all, the question that we had to wrestle with was how do we bring the gospel in word and deed in such a way that people come to know Jesus and have their lives restored and renewed as a result of what God was going to do in our church. Being for East Harlem meant learning how to communicate and embody the gospel for the good and for the sake of East Harlem, the community in which our church exists. How do we see God's kingdom come and his will be done in East Harlem? And so if you're here, no matter where you might be coming from, and we have people, again, coming from a variety of different places, we had to do the hard work of being a church that was for East Harlem, and I trust that God is going to use that effort. He has used that effort in these last years, and he's going to continue to use that effort for the glory of his name here in our community. And so again, regardless of where you might be coming from, all are, of course, welcome here 
But REH, in the end, is a church that is for East Harlem. And next week, we will consider more fully how we go about showing that love of God in Christ to this community and why so much of what we do centers around what's taking place in the neighborhood and in the community. But with that, all of that in mind, as we consider what it means to be for East Harlem, I want to now shift to consider our, what does it mean then to be a church that is in and for East Harlem so that we might know the love of God in Christ. Again, next week we'll consider what it means to show, but today let's consider what it means to know the love of God in Christ. Uh, if some of you remember, the passage that we just uh, heard read a moment ago, again, was a very orienting passage, uh, passage uh, leading up to the launch of our church. It was pivotal, and so I want to take a look at that passage again, because in that passage is where we see this dynamic of what it means to know but then also to show the love of God in Christ. And so for the next two weeks, this is the passage that we're going to look at. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, let me just quickly, uh, as we shift to what it means to know, give you a quick overview of why this is such a pivotal passage. Uh, the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul's great ecclesiology, or his doctrine of the church. Uh, and one of these days, we'll do a, a series uh, through the whole book, for sure. But in this passage, in Ephesians 3 and 4, there's a, a bit of a pivot that you'll see that Paul makes. See, in, in chapters uh, 1 through 3, Paul, he unpacks all the glorious and awe-inspiring uh, works of Jesus. Uh, in chapter 1, he speaks of the, the spiritual blessing that is given to those in Jesus. In chapter 2, he says that those in Christ were once dead but have been given life, and now they are alive in Jesus. That we've been saved by grace through faith and not by works, that the walls of hostility that once divided people have now been torn down. And then in chapter 3, he tells us that as a result of what Jesus has done, there's this mysterious unity that exists, a unity that's so profound that even the angels look at it and are awestruck by it. And then he concludes with our passage today where he prays a prayer for the Ephesians. And he prays that they might know and grasp how wide and long and deep the love of Christ is. That love that he had just unpacked for three chapters. But then in chapter 4, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he pivots. And in that opening verse of that chapter, he says this. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul spends his time telling the people how they ought to live. In other words, the knowledge of the love of Christ ought to be proved in the way that we then live. Or as our vision statement puts it, we are called to know the love of Christ, and then, as a result, show that love in the way that we live. Our vision is essentially Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, rooted in the book of Ephesians. Our calling is to know and then to show the love of Christ. But here's the rub. If we do one of these things without doing the other, we've actually lost the power of the gospel. We've missed something profound. Because the gospel is not just knowledge. It is knowledge that transforms and causes us to now live differently. Gospel knowledge that does not result in action is very much a truncated gospel. But action that is not rooted in proper knowledge is also a truncated gospel. And it's important to know that every single Christian, 
every single church, every single denomination tends to drift one way or the other. What I mean by that is this. Consider what might happen if we drift simply toward knowing the love of Christ without concern of how that then shapes us to showing that same love. If we overemphasize knowing the love of Christ, for some, it will lead some of us to chase after spiritual experiences that we might experience that love. Because oftentimes, some may say that if I don't feel this love, then that love must not be there. And so feeling that love, experiencing it in some kind of way is, in their minds, determinate on whether or not Christ has actually loved them. For others, there's an emphasis on knowing uh, that will make them very insular and detached from the world. If I simply emphasize only knowing the love of Christ, then it can very quickly lead to it just being about Jesus and me, not really concerned about how my faith then plays out around me or in my life. For others, it can make us obsessed with acquiring more and more knowledge, which time and time again I have seen uh, those who are obsessed with attaining knowledge it produces too often, and it's been the case for myself over the years as well. It produces an arrogance and a self-righteousness, an arrogance uh, that Paul gets at in you know, 1 Corinthians 8 when he talks about how knowledge puffs up. It's the idea that knowledge in some way, we believe, makes us superior to others. And so overemphasizing knowledge can lead us down problematic paths. But the flip side of that is also going to be true. That there's an, if there's an overemphasis towards showing the love of Christ without a proper knowledge, we again will err. Explain to you what I mean. For some, uh, this idea of showing and doing things uh, very quickly results in burnout. Since we have no vibrant faith that is strengthening us, we're functioning almost entirely on our own strength and determination to just be a good and righteous, righteous person. For others, it can turn into arrogant self-righteousness about how good we are and the good deeds that we've done because we forget how sinful we continue to be and how much we still need to experience and know the love of Christ uh, toward us, the love that he extends toward us. Instead, we uh, too often can mistakenly see our flawed righteous deeds. We can conflate that with, with Christ's perfect righteousness, uh, which, again, tends to make us think more of ourselves, think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Uh, for others, not coming back to a knowledge of Christ's love leaves us uh, subject to what Paul describes in, uh, chapter, later on in chapter 4, where he talks about being tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. When we overemphasize doing certain things for Jesus. What I have seen happen is people begin to lose sight of who Jesus is. Again, forgetting that we are broken people, sinners needing forgiveness of God. And I mentioned this last week, um, but I often think about those who pursue Christian ideas, pursue Christian ends. They desire to see things like justice and equality, and they desire to stand with the oppressed and the marginalized. They desire to uh, uh, insist that all people be treated with honor and dignity, no matter who they are. But those are biblical ideas. Those are ideas that did not exist the way that we understand them before the Bible. But what I've seen is people pursue those things to show the love of God, and yet they forget knowing the love of God, and as a result, they lose their way. 
They lose their grounding on what it means to actually pursue the things that God desires uh, for us to pursue. Because we have not been transformed first by the knowledge that renews our minds. All that said, before we can rightly show the love of Christ, we must first deeply know it. Because without knowing and experiencing his love, we lose the power of the gospel to transform our lives. And again, while we'll get more specific about what it means for us to show the love of God both in our personal lives, but also as a church, my question to you today is simply, do you know that great love of God in Christ? If not, please know that God right now is calling you to embrace it and to be transformed by it. Know that it is, it is hope, it is life, it is freedom, it is joy, it is purpose. So experience that love that surpasses all knowledge. But maybe you're here, and you would say, yes, I know the love of God in Christ. I have experienced it. If that's you, I want to ask you a question that I need to ask myself regularly. It's simply this. Do you regularly, daily, return to the deep well of love to be refreshed and to be renewed? Or do you find yourself striving to achieve or to prove yourself worthy of love? Because even those who follow Jesus can easily, functionally believe that our actions merit favor with God. We can believe that there is something that we must do to get God's attention in order to experience the fullness of his love. And that, my friends, actually proves the extent to which we haven't actually experienced that great love. And that plays out differently for different people, different kinds of people. Some different types of people that I I know are probably with us here in this room. And even though it plays out differently, it's still foundationally, functionally, the same issue. So for, for some Christians, some Christians will tend to emphasize certain actions like living a life of, of piety. There's a very high view of holiness and, and purity, and usually the way that plays out is there's a very high emphasis on it. things like reading our Bibles, going to church, not being corrupted by worldliness, and all of those things are good and right and true things that reveal the character of God. But for those that have a high emphasis on that, we can easily assume that those actions merit God's love for us when they don't. And this functional belief is really ultimately about my external performance. And that external performance shows the extent to which I don't actually know the love of God in Christ. Because all our righteousness contributes nothing to how much God loves you in Christ. There's another group of of Christians who maybe don't characterize their faith and their relationship with the Lord through piety, but rather other expressions of righteousness. Again, I've known many people like this. They are people who fight for justice, they work for equity, they seek to love and advocate for their neighbors, they're very high on welcoming the stranger and the immigrant, and they even want to work against unjust systems and structures so that they might better reflect the kingdom of God in this world. Again, all those things are good and right things that reveal the character of God. But then we can assume that those actions, that work, somehow merits God's love for us when it doesn't. And when we pursue those ends in an attempt to merit God's love, we prove, once again, the extent to which we don't actually know 
the love of God in Christ. For all your righteousness contributes nothing to how much God loves you in Jesus. So having said all of that, what then is the love of Christ? That our actions don't dictate that love. Well, it is a love seen in his actions, Jesus' actions toward us. Because he loves us with a love that leads him to willingly lay down his life for us. The cross of Christ shows his love and his commitment to us long before we have shown any kind of love or commitment to him. And here's the key. Knowing that Christ laid down his life for us, it then leads us to lay down our lives for him. Knowing that Christ took off the ultimate cross for us leads us to be a people who are then able to pick up our cross and follow him. Knowing Christ's commitment to lead us to be a people committed to him shows us what it means to actually be able to commit ourselves to him. Knowing the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is given to us, leads us to then live in a way that is righteous and to do so for him. And so when we don't lay down our lives for him, when we don't pick up our cross and follow him, when we don't commit ourselves to his will and his desires, when we don't live righteously as he commands, I wonder if it is because we have forgotten his love for us, or maybe we never actually knew it. Because when we see all that he has done, it leads us to transformation. Having said that, I'll also just say I am very disheartened uh, at times by in what happens in my own life and, of course, um, in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ when we don't act. We don't live in Christ-like ways. When I don't act or I don't live in Christ-like ways, I wonder, have I forgotten the love of Christ in my life? Do I know him? When my actions don't reflect righteousness and and purity, the purity of Jesus, when I'm self-serving, I wonder, do I know him? Do I know his love? You know, when our successes or our pursuits supersede a desire to be a just or compassionate person like that of Christ, I wonder, do I know him? Have I forgotten his love? When we are more committed to reflecting particular ideologies or political agendas than reflecting the character and the nature of Christ in his kingdom, I wonder, if I've forgotten his love. Do I know him? When I would rather do as I please than submit myself to his will, I wonder, do I know him? Do I know his love? When I treat repentance and truth as if they're optional things, I wonder, do I know him? Have I forgotten his love? If you do not know his love, or maybe you have forgotten, I want you to hear the love of Jesus. Because Christian, if you were once dead in your sin, Christ made you alive. And that knowledge must mean that we live like those who have been raised from the dead. Christian, if you were if you are a Christian, you were once alienated from God and his and others. But in Christ we are now children of God. One people with the walls of hostility having been torn down. Christian, if you are a Christian, 
the knowledge that we were once strangers and aliens to the kingdom of God ought to then mean we become people that are welcoming to those who are unwelcome elsewhere. Christian, if you're here, you were once ruled by darkness, left only to the corruption of your own devices. But our great King of compassion has defeated that darkness that our minds might be renewed by the work of the Spirit. And as verse 16 says, strengthened by the power of the Spirit, that knowledge ought to mean that we no longer follow our corrupt desires, the desires of our heart and our flesh, but now we trust in what God commands and what is about what is best and good and right and pure to us as His creation. So again, I ask you, do you remember, do you know the love of God in Christ for you? A love that came far before any love that you extended to Him. This is the great grace of God. He moves toward us before we ever move toward Him. That He transforms us before He ever calls us to live in a way that's reflective of Him. That He lays down His life. Jesus lays down His life that we might then be given His Spirit so that we can now lay down our lives before Him. And this is my prayer for Redeemer East Harlem, that we would be a church committed to knowing the love of Christ, that as a body we would regularly come back to drink from this deep well. And as we do, we commit ourselves to then being able to show the great love of God to each other and to others in this community. If we don't start here, if we are not a people committed to constantly coming back to knowing the love of God in Christ, this is all for nothing. None of this matters. It's an exercise of self-righteousness, all the things that we do. But as we come back to knowing the love of Christ, we are empowered and motivated to be a people who then show that love in profound ways. And so if asked... What's Redeemer East Harlem all about? You can always point back to that vision statement that Redeemer East Harlem is a church that, seek, that is both in and for East Harlem and that seeks to both know and show the love of God in Christ. I trust that God's word is true when it says in our passage that as we are in this love, as we experience and know this love, that he will do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May that be true. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great love that you have given to us. This great love that you have extended to us. And we thank you for our Savior the one who proves how deeply you love. Love, Lord, I thank you that you have not called us to do a single thing except receive Jesus in faith. But Lord, there is nothing that we can merit, that we can do that merits your favor. Lord, I pray that we would see that for the freedom that it is, that we are not bound to be able to accomplish a certain set of tasks before we are received and loved by you. But rather, your grace and your mercy is extended to us long before we ever acknowledged you. 
But as a result, Lord, we also acknowledge as a result of receiving that love, of knowing that great love of Jesus, we're then transformed to be a people that now reflects that great love in this world. Help us to not err one way or the other, but may we first drink deeply from that, that well of love that you have, that we might be refreshed and renewed to then go show that great love. Make us a church, make us a people that know and show the love of God in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem Podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.